All right, so we're on this new series called New Attitude, and it's not a new year, new you kind of thing. It is the attitude of Jesus Christ actually dominating the way we view life. And, and I got to tell you, uh, everybody look this way. Um, I've heard a lot about how uh, culture has influenced the way we think. And I've heard a lot about how our emotions uh, determine how we think. But friends, if we are going to be faithful, listen, if we're going to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we must care more about what Jesus says than what our culture says, what our buddies say, or even what we feel. And yet I've heard a lot from these very seats about how we feel determining what we think. I just want to encourage you. And again, this is one of my jobs as pastor. It's not a fun job. I don't enjoy it. But it is one of my jobs to tell you what the Scripture says and then call you to be faithful in following it even though you don't like it, all right? So as we've looked at this new attitude, it hadn't been all, um, you know, uh, uh, sunshine and, 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 and jelly beans. It's, it's been a little bit challenging, and the first week was kind of easy. It felt a little bit easier because we looked at how Philippians 2, verse 5, Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we saw how that Paul is calling us to have the same attitude of Jesus, which uh, puts a higher priority on serving others than it does being served. And, uh, uh, and that service must be sacrificial. Then the next attitude we looked at is the attitude of mission, how that Jesus came, uh, left heaven's throne uh, to, uh, uh, to bring the good news of rescue to the nations and how that we as followers of Christ are supposed to have that same passion to make disciples that Jesus has given us in Matthew chapter 28. And then the third attitude we looked at was the attitude of love where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you have heard it said, love your enemies, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. And he goes on and describes that. And uh, that, one, that one probably caused the greatest amount of consternation um, and questions and, and uh, accusations against me. And I understand that. It's, it's a hard one. Uh, the idea that we're supposed to... Jesus wasn't talking hyperbole here. He said, love your enemies. That's what he said. Now... That's between you and God how you work that out. But please don't tell me that we're not supposed to do it. Jesus said, love your enemies. And the very definition of enemy is someone who's trying to kill us. Someone who hates us. Someone who persecutes us. Someone who despises us. That's the definition of an enemy. The definition of love, well, I'll leave it to you to work out. Some passages you might look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, just a, just a passage. Romans 5, 8, another passage talking about God's love. So uh, that's, that was, the, that was the, 
a couple of weeks ago. Last week we did Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus said, uh, The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, this is clearly something that Jesus had uh, in his mission. When he says the Son of Man has come, he's talking about his mission. The reason he left heaven was to serve not be served. And we saw how that uh, uh, the biggest question we need to ask, especially as we come here in this church, is not, how am I being served? The question is, how am I serving others? Instead of measuring the value of a church by how well they serve me, We must measure the value of the church as God does, how well we serve others. The idea that we are supposed to be consumeristic is really a is an affront to God consumeristic like we're supposed to get in here and the church is supposed to do everything our way right to make us happy uh it's an impossible task because the church has tried to do that and it doesn't work uh but the idea the very theology behind this this concept that i'm supposed to come into the church and i evaluate whether this church is being faithful by how well it meets my needs well guys i got to tell you that's not the measure of greatness in the kingdom of god nor is that the measure that god uses when he comes to the church the question is not how well do we serve you but rather how well do we serve others make it more personal point is not how well are you serving me the point is how well am i serving you and others jesus really simply stated greatness in the kingdom is not measured by your position or your place but greatness in god's kingdom is measured in how well you serve others And that leads us to today. And today we're going to look in Luke chapter 5, really looking at verses 31 and 32. In Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, so as we break that apart, let's look at the background a little bit. Really, the main theme of this passage is that Jesus gives us a a, a new attitude in how to um, be friends with those people. I put those people in parentheses because we all know those people. Those people, those people that aren't like us, those people that have bad reputations, those people that do terrible things, those people that behave badly, those people that live on the wrong side of the tracks, those people that don't make my kind of income, those people that don't live in my neighborhood, those people who live in ramshackle houses, those people, those people who go to Las Vegas on a regular basis and do all kinds of crazy things, those people. When we define others as those people we're usually in the church setting we're usually pointing out people that that uh, are on tmz and not in a good way we're, we're talking about people that 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 hang out at the street corner in an urban setting and not for good purposes 
We're talking about the people with whom we go to school that have a less than stellar reputation. We're talking about those people. And usually, usually it's been my experience in the church that, that we kind of, you know, we might be kind to them, but we're not going to be their friends. We might venture into their neighborhood, their neck of the woods every now and then and, 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 and show a kindness. We, we call it charity, but we're not going to be their friends. After all, they are those people. But Jesus turns the idea of those people on its head when he is friends with them. See, what happens in Luke chapter 5 Verse 27 is Jesus is in his hometown. He's in, uh, he's in his town, his home base of Capernaum. And as he's spending time there, he comes across a guy named Levi. We know him most prominently as Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew is Levi. And, and he comes across Levi, who is a tax collector. And make no mistake, a tax collector is one of those people in the Jewish setting. And we come across a tax collector and, and instead of walking the other way as most religious people would have done, Jesus stopped. And he invited Matthew, Levi, to be part of his inner circle, to be part of his team, his crew, his clique, his disciples. He says, follow me. And Levi gets up from his table, left everything behind, and began to follow Jesus. So transformed by Jesus was Levi that he threw a party. And in that party, he invited all of his friends. Now, if you are one of those people, most of your friends are going to be those people. So Matthew invites his friends who are those people, tax collectors and others... Others being a code word for those people. And so uh, Jesus uh, is invited and his disciples are invited to this party where they would sit down at a table, break bread together and get to know one another. Be friends. By the way, and Jesus went, by the way. Jesus showed up at the party and he hung out at the party with those people. He sat down at a table and he broke bread with those people. Now, you got to understand what it means to sit down at a table, recline at a table and break bread with someone during Jesus's day. It was not a come and go. It wasn't a McDonald's sack lunch. It wasn't a working dinner. It was an, uh, it was an opening of one's heart to others. To break bread with someone in the ancient Near East meant that you were opening yourself to them, that you were calling them friends, not just casual friends, but friends that you would pay prices for, friends that you would do anything for. These men and probably women in the room, in the house, became friends with Jesus. And that sent the tongues a-wagging because the Pharisees would never have had dinner with those people. So why did Jesus? Why would Jesus have dinner with those people? Well, first of all, because Jesus came to fix broken lives. That's, that's why he came. He, he came to fix broken lives. And I've got some 
good news for you. But before I hit the good news, let me tell you the bad news. The bad news is there's not a person here who is not broken in some way. The church is a place where broken people get together and find life. It's not a place where good people have got it all together and hold away those people. Jesus, Jesus came to take broken people and make them whole. That's what he's talking about when he says those who are well, those who are already fixed, they have no need for a physician. But I've come to call not, not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He paints himself as a physician for the soul. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus w- was standing in front of the church and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. But not only that, he sent me, I've got to read it now, he sent me to, uh, uh, to, to, uh, to, to proclaim liberty to captives, to the recovery of sight to those who are blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim this is the now time for God's favor. And Jesus came with a purpose in mind, and that purpose was to go to the people, those people, the oppressed people, the poor people, the captive people, and to set them free, to make them whole. And yet somehow in the church today, we measure the kind of church we are by the clothes we wear, and the status of our church is measured by stained glass rather than our mission, our purpose, our attitude to be friends with those people so that they are part of us, not outsiders. Jesus had an attitude that set the religious on their head, made them mad. In fact, not just here, but in, in, in Luke chapter uh, 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 7, I think, and 11 and 19, uh, whenever you hear the, the, the Pharisees grumbling, it's, it's, that Greek word is used in Luke's gospel to describe the way they felt about Jesus hanging out with those people. Every time that word, that verb is used, it's a picture of these religious leaders, these self-righteous nincompoops condemning Jesus because he dared to be friends with those people. But Jesus understood that he had to be friends with those people if he was going to help those people. I mean, real friends, not just kindness, but opening the heart, becoming vulnerable, risking. And that leads to another point. See, Jesus cared more about people than he did his reputation. Jesus cared more about, about, about people and them being made whole than, than he cared about his reputation. In Luke chapter 7, Verse 24, Jesus had heard what the Pharisees had said about him. And he said, the son of man, talking about himself, the son of man came eating and drinking and you've called him a friend to gluttons, drunkards, tax collectors, sinners. And it's true. He was and he is. Aren't you glad that Jesus is a friend to sinners? You realize that being a sinner makes you one of those people. 
You see, what we do in the church is we classify respectable sinners and less respectable sinners. And that's all hogwash in God's kingdom. That's just a way for us to feel better about ourselves by looking down at other those people. Acting like their sin is worse than our sin. Get a grip. You're one of those people. And Jesus came to be your friend. And fix what was broken in you. Because Jesus cared more about you than he did his reputation. You know what? What America needs is the church to rise up, stop worrying so much about our reputation, and start worrying a lot more about people. It needs the church to care more about being who Jesus was in his world toward those who are those people. Stop worrying so much about whether or not my conservative friend's going to think I'm a liberal or my liberal friend's going to think I'm a fundamentalist. When you stop worrying so much about your church buddy seeing you sitting next to somebody that they know is one of those people. You know, the old joke, it doesn't apply anymore, but the old joke is, um, um, oh, I've forgotten it now. It's, Essentially, essentially, you, you, you know, the only place where you can go and Baptists not acknowledge each other is the liquor store, you know, something like that. I, I've, I've ruined it, you know. Like I said, it doesn't apply anymore because all of y'all don't really care that much about seeing each other in the liquor store like you used to. Uh, no, Pastor, I wasn't buying a lottery ticket. I was buying a uh, 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 candy bar, you know. Yeah, yeah, things have changed, and I understand that, and that's okay. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not worried about that, but I am worried about the fact that, that so many of us are more concerned about looking good in front of our friends than we are concerned about taking care of people who are broken. It's just wrong. So today, we need to care more about people than we do our reputation. The, the last thing, I've got to run through this, but the last, the last point that we see is that, that Jesus prescribes repentance. That's, that's his prescription for those people and for us people. Now, he says, I've come to call not the righteous but sinners to repentance. You know why he had to say that? Because the Pharisees didn't see that they needed any help. They didn't even consider themselves sick. They were so full of themselves, so filled with their own self-righteousness that they believed that they were okay. The, 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 the great physician, Jesus Christ, can't cure someone, doesn't acknowledge that they need help. But those people, so often they know. And the reason we develop friendships with those people, when I say friendship, I don't mean a drive-by. I mean actually becoming vulnerable to, uh, in, in a relationship with someone who is one of those people. The reason we do it is not just so we can uh, say that we've got one of those people as our friend. The reason, the reason we do it is so that we might be like Jesus 
and show them how that they can be made whole. Jesus is the physician, and the cure he offers to our brokenness is repentance. Repentance in this context, the call to repentance, is an invitation for sinners to have their sins forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ and come to the table and feast in fellowship with God. The reason we have friends that are sinners is so that we can point them to the great physician who alone can cure what ails them. I love repentance, by the way, and again, I don't have time to talk about this, but I love repentance. Repentance is huge. Repentance is so very much the key to an experiencing a joyful life. As I shared last Wednesday night, repentance repentance means that I don't have to lose anymore. I've, I've experienced loss because of my sin, and you always do. You always experience loss because of your sin, but when we repent, I don't have to lose anymore, and I can even gain some back. Repentance means there's a change that's happened and wrought by the Spirit of God in my heart, wrought by the sovereign power of God in His grace. There's a change that has taken place. But friends, only Jesus can deliver the repentance that we need. His prescription for you is repentance. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're one of those people, same is true for both of us. I need to repent. I need to repent and trust Jesus and give him all that I am and cling to him and and, and rest in his grace. And in that, I find life itself. So the question you've got to ask is, do you have the attitude of Jesus to be friends with those people? And it may take some work. You see, some of us are more self-righteous than the others. You know know what I'm talking about. Some of us, we're, we're so proud of our spiritual progress that we treat anybody that hadn't made that same spiritual progress as kind of underlings at best. And so maybe you need Jesus to get a hold of your heart and wring out that pride. You need to repent the pride. You know what revival is? Revival is where God's people are ruled by Christ's attitude in every area of our lives. That's revival. You know what characterizes revival? Joy, celebration, getting off the chain a little bit dancing a jig every now and then. Happy, happy, happy. Don't be like the Pharisees. Be like Jesus. Would you bow your heads, please? Now, Father, right now, I pray that you would now take hold of our hearts and help for us to have the attitude of Jesus and be friends with those 
other people, the sinners who need repentance. Help for us not to care more about our reputation than we do people and help for us to see clearly what you want from us today. That this isn't an insider's club. The church should never be a clique like that. But rather, this is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.